Welcome to the Catch the Fire London podcast. We hope and pray you'll encounter God as you listen to this message. Dan, he's authentic and he's a servant of God. So uh, let's pray for him uh, as he comes to minister to us this morning. Father, we thank you for Dan. We thank you for his servant heart. We thank you uh, for the authenticity that he carries And uh, as he comes to speak to us this morning, I pray that your anointing will be upon him, Lord. Let them be words that come directly from your throne because of the spirit, your spirit that sits within him. And bless him and bless us as he ministers to us. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Michael. Yeah, recently I got introduced by someone who I'm not going to name, I'm just going to look at. (laughs) <laughs> Stephen, <laughs> who told everyone in a room about that message, but completely missed the point of the message in his explanation. So it just sounded like I stood at church and took my clothes off. Um, but thank you for saying the point of the message, Michael. That's good. It's much better when people actually remember what you were talking about, not just the weird things you do. <laughs> I know you do, Stephen. It's fine. Well, good morning, everybody. Hello. How are you all doing today? You good? Awesome. I'm really excited today. Um, because I get to talk about one of my absolute favourite subjects this morning. In the rotor, we're going through the I Am series. So who was here last week when Chloe talked about the great I Am and just set the scene wonderfully? And there was power that moved in the room. There was healings happened. Come on, wasn't there? It was awesome. And so you've all had a really exciting week thinking about the I Ams of God, the great I Am. I'm going to try and make sure I can speak to you guys outside the iPad. Um, And this week, we're moving on to some more of the specifics. And so the title I got this week was I Am Your Father. But for all of you Star Wars fans out there, you're going to love that. The first time I read it, it said, I Am Your Father, and then the Bible verse. But my screen only showed up the the book. And so it said, I Am Your Father, Luke. (laughs) I was like, amazing. I Am Your Father. No, so I'm not going to talk about Darth Vader. But I'm going to talk about a better father. Amen? Come on. He set the bar pretty low, that guy. <laughs> so first of all, let's, let's open the Bible. Let's go to 2 Corinthians. Also, can I just say, thank you, Timmy. You can tell the righteousness of a man by the size of his Bible. Look at this thing. I forgot to bring my Bible with me today, and Timmy gave me the world's biggest Bible. This is awesome. It's like, you know, if someone's not listening, I'm just going to throw it at you, and you're going <laughs> to... But anyway, right, I'm saying that, totally worth it, because I totally lost my place. <laughs> Right, 2 Corinthians 1. Okay. And this is just such a juicy verse. It's so good. Okay, here we go. I'm going to go from verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and of all comfort, who comforts us in our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Praise be, so the NIV says, praise be to our God and Father, the Father of all compassion. Why don't you just say the word compassion? I love words. I like figuring out words. I don't like just reading a book and being like, they're great words. I like to understand the words. It's really important to understand what the words are you're using, right? Okay? Don't just say things. Words matter, as Stu says a lot. And the word compassion, quite literally, split it up is into two things. You have come and passion. The word compassion means to be moved or to come into passion. I think too often we confuse the word passion with pity. And, and I think often we operate as Christians in a come pity 
kind of attitude of like, oh man, I, that's just horrible. I need to deal with it. You know, it's why advertising for charities works. You know, you look at aid campaigns for issues happening in the third world and, and all the challenges going on, even Ukraine, all that stuff. People pull on pity to get an action out of someone. But pity only rev like brings slight results. It brings maybe a slight concern. It might open up your wallet a little bit. Compassion is powerful. To be moved to passion for something means you cannot stay still. You cannot be passive. You cannot afford to do anything in your life other than make a difference in that situation. That's the father we have. A father who's not just pitying you, but he's moved to passion for you. What does that look like? That's pretty epic, eh? And then it says, and God of all comfort. The word comfort's not just a little, oh, there, there. It's not a little blanket that we like, tuck around our neck and feel better about ourselves. It's not having a bath at the end of a long day. The word comfort literally translated, and you figure this out by now, is to come into fortress. What does that look like? The God of all comfort means that every time he responds to you in love, it's him coming and placing you into a fortress of his love. And so if you combine those two things, he is all-powerfully chasing after you with passion. He's moved to passion for you. He wants to get to you, surround you, and place you into a fortress of his love, which, by the way, has never been scaled, defeated, destroyed, or able to be besieged. It's a fortress of complete victory. That makes a difference in your life. How are you feeling about your father right now? How many of you got evidence of him doing that for you? Let me change the question. In the last 10 minutes. Come on, we should all live in a reality where we recognise that we are placed in a fortress of his love in all things and through all things in every single moment. Why? Because we can't afford to say, I'm a Christian and turn up to church and live this life and then follow the Great Commission like we all should be doing of making disciples of all nations if we don't understand that we're first receiving it. Because an evangelistic message that's not understanding that we have a father who loves us and not just a, oh, I love you, but a, I'm going to come with passion for you. I'm going to move things, change things, fix things, resolve things and restore things for you and do all that while you're in the safety of my love. Then when we receive that and give it away, man, that's a powerful message and a powerful lifestyle that changes people's worlds. Do you want to change people's lives? Start to open your eyes and see the reality that he has for you today. So where do you live? It's not a trick question. Some of you look at me like, it's got to be Jesus, right? That's got to be the answer. <laughs> you live in a fortress of love. Read Psalm 91 through that filter and that changes everything. Psalm 91 is not a message of the offensive that we use in spiritual warfare, whilst it can be that. I believe Psalm 91 is a statement of your position. When you live in the fortress of love, you can see complete decimation all around you. and It doesn't come near you. But then, because you freely received it, freely give it. Release it to the world. Come on. Right, we're going to jump straight off the back of that to Luke 15, because I want to introduce you guys to the 
greatest father who ever, ever, ever existed. And you probably all know him. Some of you are thinking, man, I've been on the School of Ministry. I've heard Dan preach this message before. Well, you'll have also heard me on the School of Ministry say this. I have read Luke 15 probably a thousand times comfortably. I've preached this message comfortably at least a hundred times. And I can tell you something, every single time the Lord reveals more because there is so much depth in him. And so I'm excited today because there's a whole new thing for you today. But I just want to throw out a little bit of extra revelation because I like to do that. Luke 15 starts off with the parable of the lost sheep. Now, dwell. Who was at dwell on, on Monday night? Wasn't it epic? Wasn't it amazing? And there's that incredible moment where we started calling the prodigals home. And I love that. And it's such a beautiful precursor to today. It's like God is just setting us up. And then next Sunday, we've got the um, Father's Day, which, by the way, anybody who struggles with the name Father, when you come next Sunday, I think you're going to have a different experience on a Father's Day next week because you're about to find a father who overcomes everything. But at Dwell, we were going after the prodigals and praying into and pursuing it. And this isn't a bash at what we did on Monday, but actually that's only a third of the picture. Because Jesus starts off, Luke 15, for me, is a, is a toolkit for how do we approach the world. Because there's three types of people in this world beyond just being in his love. Number one, the lost sheep. A sheep knows it's lost but has no idea on how to get itself back. That's why shepherds, you hear like, you know, amazing songs and the Bible says about going after the one and leaving the 99. Why? Because when a sheep gets lost, it has no idea how to get home. Sheep are stupid. They really are. I mean, they're really good at two things, eating and following the voice of their, of their master. And sometimes I think we need to get a bit more stupid in our journey with Jesus because we need to dial down the complications we make and be a bit more like a sheep and just be like, okay, I hear your voice. I'm going to eat your fruit. And so we just need to be like that. But also we need to recognise that sometimes sheep get lost and they don't know how to get back again. And did you know, fun fact for you, in Israel, you'll often see shepherds carrying sheep on their shoulders. Do you know why? Because when they get lost, they break their legs. And then they put them on their shoulders. And then that sheep develops such a dependence on the shepherd that when its legs are healed, it's not going to get lost again. It's not going to move away. It knows the smell, the actions, and the voice of that shepherd on a whole new intimate level because it has been carried on its journey of healing. And now I'm not saying to you that God might break your legs, but if you get lost and stuck, he's going to restrict you for a little bit of time until you learn to listen to his voice, recognize his voice, know his smell, follow him intimately, and journey with him. Some people need to be enforced into an intimacy dynamic because sometimes we just miss the point entirely. But... There's people out there who are like sheep. They're lost. They know they're lost. They don't know how to get unlost. People who are seeking God in all the wrong places. And they're getting stuck in ditches. They're getting stuck in brambles. getting stuck in all these places. They're not looking for the shepherd. We need to pray for the lost sheep, people. We need to pray for them. Then there's the parable of the lost coin. Does a coin know it's lost? No. Coin has no idea. Coin is lost. Coin is just existing. There's lots of people in this world who are just existing and they have no idea that they're lost. Doesn't mean they don't deserve to be found. And I had this picture on Monday night, actually, the, of the father's hand and he was just throwing coins up and down in his hands like this with a big smile on his face. And the pile was getting bigger and bigger. And I was just like, God, what, what does this mean? He's like, my coins are coming back into my purse. 
And it's just like, he's like, there's a lot of coins out there. They have no idea they're lost. But man, when they find their way back into my household, they're going to enjoy themselves. They're going to have the time of their life because they didn't know they were lost before. So being found is a next level revelation. There's some coins we need to be praying for in this world. And then we reach verse 11, the parable of the lost son. Now, let me tell you something. I want to rename this and, you know, tell me off if you think this is naughty, but... I want you to get a pen and cross out that title in your Bible and write this, The Tale of Two Prodigals. Why? Because the word prodigal, words mean something. We need to understand something. For years and years and years, I attended prayer meetings in churches being like, yeah, we're going to pray for the prodigals, thinking that just meant everyone who wasn't in church. But it's not true. There's lost sheep, there's lost coins, and there's prodigals. Prodigals. So one definition of the word prodigal, the negative definition is this, somebody who is extravagantly wasteful. A prodigal is simply this, somebody who has walked in access to the comforter of all comforters and the, Lord, the God of all compassion. They've had access to it, they've lived in that realm and they've walked away and they've wasted their inheritance. They've been extravagantly wasteful with everything of God's kingdom. They've turned their back, they've walked off. And then you've got another definition of the same word, that's a really positive one, which is to be extravagantly lavish. Because you see, this story is about a father who's a prodigal, but in the good sense. He is extravagantly lavish with his love. And then you've got a son who is a prodigal in the worst sense. He's extravagantly wasteful with that love. And I was thinking as we were doing the offering declaration, I love the fact that it's not just I'm giving, but also it's let me be lavish with your love, God. I want to be transformed into a prodigal son in a way that means I get to be extravagantly lavish with the goodness of God. But I get to see slaves set free, captives set free, the sick healed. But even more than that, I get to understand the wealth that is within me from my Father God and recognize it and never waste it. And that's where I want to take you this morning. So let's start off with Luke 15, verse 11. It says here, A certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, me, father give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. Now, look. Some versions say, give me my inheritance. We all know how inheritance works. Someone has to die for inheritance to be released. This son is saying in this moment, Dad, I don't care about you, relationship with you, connection with you. I don't care about you being alive or dead. All I care about is what I get when you die, and I want it now. He's saying, you're, you're worthless to me. How many times have we done that? Either with our earthly fathers or even just with our Father God. I want the stuff, God. I don't want relationship with you. I want the stuff. I want the good feels. I want the bits and pieces. I want the things. And we negotiate and we try and get them. Failing to recognise the fact that we're saying to the Father, I don't need you. I don't want you. An early inheritance is a wrong inheritance. It's calling, it's, it's abortion. It's premature death. And so he gave them his livelihood. He gave them everything. He split it between his two sons. And so we start this story with one son who is abhorrently rude to his father, saying, Dad, you're just dead to me. And yet he still gets his inheritance. And then we have a father who is so lavish that he gives it freely. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. He was extravagantly wasteful. The older brother really helpfully helps us understand what that is. He says he's been 
going to parties, he's been with prostitutes, he's been doing all this kind of stuff. He's not been making good choices. In fact, he's been, on one level, you could say he's been trying to be everything that his father wasn't. He's trying to take all the goodness of that household and make it dirty and wrong and broken. He's living badly, he's turning to lies, he's turning to the wrong things. And he wastes it all. But when he had spent it all, there arose a severe famine in that land and he began to be in want. Now, there is, in the Ten Commandments, there is one commandment that has a cause and effect. And it's this, honour your mother and father so that it can go well for you in the land the Lord is giving you. And about five years ago, I was having one of those moments with God where I was like, God, it doesn't feel like things are going well for me. And he said to me, well, Dan, are you in a land that I've given you or are you in a land that you've given yourself? And he was like, and are you living in honour? I was like, oh, man. I started to look at it. I was like, well, actually, in this moment, no, I'm not. I've been like, my will, not yours, God. I'm over here in my will. And this is my way or the highway. And I'm like, da, 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 da. but God, why aren't you blessing me? And God's over there in the land of milk and honey going, why are you over there? How often are we walking in my will, not your will? My will, not your will be done, Lord. Like, it's just, and when you say it, when I speak like this, you're like, yeah, that's, no, I've never done that. But you have blatantly done it. We've all done it. Let's be honest for a second. Are you in a land you've given yourself? That's what the prodigal son did. He's like, I'm going to go off to a distant land, outside of my father's reach, outside of my father's will, outside of my father's covering. I've given myself this land, and I've piled it all away, and now it's not good for me. Are you in a land you've given yourself, or are you in a land that the Lord has given you? And then next, are you in honour? Now, honour in this context could be your, literally your earthly mother and father. It could be spiritual leaders in your life. It could be your boss at work. Are you honouring those that God has positioned over you in your life? Because if you're not, it's not going to go well for you. God loves honour, and he will honour honour. So then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into the fields to feed swine. And obviously at this point, everybody that Jesus is talking to goes, because pigs are unclean animals in Israel, right? Do you know that? So the idea of him going and not only going to foreign nation as, and becoming a slave when as far as the Israelites are concerned, they're top dogs. They're like, they struggled to submit to the Romans, not because they didn't like being like kind of covered by the Romans, but they were like, no, God's told us we're his chosen people. We are like the top dogs. We are supreme. We're not anybody's slaves. Others are slaves to us. That's like, that's the mandate. That's the inheritance. That's the position. And so the idea that he would go and lower himself to not only being a slave, but a slave who works with pigs, you couldn't get more low than that. You could, like, he could have murdered someone and not be as worse off as in that situation, as far as Levitical law is concerned. Like, he has gone to the lowest point possible, and he is completely defiling his inheritance. And he joins himself to a foreigner for it. And he's in there, and he's saying, and he was hungry because it was famine. And he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, but no one gave him anything. They were valuing the pigs more than him. I'll tell you something, pigs will eat anything. And he wanted to eat that. I've never had such a stark revelation of this dynamic than when the amount of times we'd be on the streets in Kenya working with street children and recognising the fact that they were literally living on piles of dump. And they were just there rummaging through the waste. Everyone else's rubbish. And it was them... And it was pigs would be the two things you'd always find on the dump sites. You see it on dump sites all over the world. In a third world nation, you will find orphans who are on the streets 
living that life and you will find pigs. There's this, this crazy thing that happens in the world where we get desperate. But he came to himself, he had that light bulb moment and says, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare? And I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and before you and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. How often have we done that prayer? Let me make it a bit more kind of like contextual. How often have you been driving on the motorway and seen the flash of a speed camera and thought, oh, Jesus, I repent right now. Would you just make me invisible to that speed camera? I, I'm so repentant in this moment that you were going to bless me because I wasn't in a good place before, but now I am. Or done the sarcastic thing of like, I bless that person, little scumbag, I bless them. You know, and, and, and we joke, but it's true. We live in this place where we're like, oh, you know what? All it needs is my repentance. So, Father, I'm so sorry. I recognize that I've been bad, but I'm going to be good, I promise. And it's like this manipulative prayer of, I'm just, you know, I'm just going to define it all. I'm just going to show my penitence. I'm going to come and place myself like a worm. Don't crush me. <laughs> and we live like that, don't we? And, and yet the Father, in his grace, still forgives. But he's looking for more. And I'll tell you what happens. So, he arose and came to his father. But it says, when he was still a great way off, his father saw him. What does that mean? He was looking. The father was looking for him. The father from the... It's, it, the beautiful poetry of this moment is, it's almost like from the moment that son left to the moment he's returned, the father just sat scanning the horizon. Looking for him, he's like, where's my son? 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 And it says he saw him when he was still a long way off. But let me tell you something. This boy did not look like the boy who left. He wasn't wearing riches anymore. He wasn't adorned with robes. He probably didn't have the cart that he left with with all the belongings and riches on. He probably even took servants with him. Didn't have them anymore. He's, he's both emaciated and starving and, but also covered in the evidence of his sin. His clothes have become rags. His, his atmosphere stinks. He's covered in pig poo and muck. He's dirty. When you look at him, you see the evidence of somebody who's made some terrible choices. He is evident of his journey. And the father still recognizes him. Isn't that crazy? That a boy who look, can look so different can be so familiar to one who loves him. You know, I've been in situations where, this is really funny, but Ash, Ashley's very good at not answering his phone, her phone. And, and it's like it's just a thing that exists in her world that she, you know, it's there for no apparent reason. Um, and we can be out and like the worst thing is when she goes, okay, we're in a hurry. So if I go this way in the shop, you go that way. You get your stuff, I'll get my stuff. That's the worst idea ever because it doesn't save time because what happens is I get all my stuff and then Ashley's nowhere to be seen and she's not answering her phone and I then have to do like a systematic search through a supermarket. You know what I mean, where you go, you work your way down an aisle, then down the other way, then when you've done the zigzag, you then work your way down the middle again, looking at the side like a crazy person, and then you do the end aisles as well until you find them. And then she'll often be like, where have you been? I've been waiting for you. <laughs> Follow the plan. <laughs> but I tell you what, when I see her, 
If I see her from behind at the other end of a supermarket from a distance, I know it's her. I haven't remembered what she's wearing. I haven't remembered how she's done her hair that way. I know how she moves. I know how she holds herself. I know how she walks because I'm intimate in my relationship and my knowledge with her. When the father looks to you, he's not looking to a stranger. He's not looking to somebody from a far distance, distant place. In fact, he's not even seeing the evidence of the sin on your life because the cross dealt with it all. He has a lens over his eye that only sees you in perfect glory because all the things that you focus on, all the reasons that you think discount you from his love, all the things that would get in the way, he doesn't even see it. He sees the one who he created, who he knows, who he has perfect relationship with and identity of. To the point that actually it's almost like the distance away didn't even exist to him. Because he only knows you as the one who's close. He only knows you as the one who could be within his household in that kind of way and measure. Isn't that amazing? He doesn't see the broken person on the pathway back to him. And it says, and he had compassion. Remember what we said? He was moved to passion. What does that look like? Desperation, pain, that punch in the gut feeling of like, ah, oh, but even more so understanding the need in that moment. Because you see, in, in Hebraic law, the dishonor in the eye for an eye dynamic of that son saying, I want you to die, dad, because I want the stuff now. A life for a life. It was within rights of the people of that land that as he entered the town to start smashing plates at his feet in disgrace and shock at him, start tearing at his clothes, start to then throw stones at him and ultimately stone him to death, justified as an honour killing for the fact that it was a life for a life. He hadn't killed his father, but he may as well have. That's what he was coming back to. And the father of all comfort and compassion knew that. And it says he ran. The word there in the Greek is dremo, which means race like the wind. Um, we have this really fun tradition in England, um, in Gloucester, where for some unknown reason, a load of crazy people run down a really steep hill to catch a wheel of cheese. <laughs> if you've never seen it, just look the Gloucester wheel of cheese race thing on YouTube. It's madness. And they literally have ambulances waiting at the bottom, <laughs> knowing that someone's going to really hurt themselves because this hill is so steep. And it's, it's been happening for hundreds of years. This is the, the thing that I'm proud to be British, but there are some things that just, you know, what? Morris dancing as well, what? Um, but anyway, they're all at the top of the hill and they release the cheese and then they nail it. And honestly, like people are going like cartwheeling down when they lose it. They are running faster than gravity can keep up with them. It is crazy. That's what Dremo means. You know, we've all probably done it when you're a child and you run down a hill that probably, like, in fact, I went to my parents' house the other week and went to a park that we used to go to when we were kids and we'd, like, run down this hill. And it'd be hilarious because you get to that point where you feel like your legs can't move as fast as gravity is around you. And, and it's, like, it's really exciting and terrifying at the same time and you're convincing your tiny body that you're about to die and this is the end and you're going out in a blaze of glory. I went back and it was, like, the world's most shallow hill in the world but to a toddler that's crazy right and but that at that that thing of his desperation that desperation of running dremo is to race like the wind it's to run faster than you possibly thought you could run it's to just let your legs overtake and and the thing that's wild about this story this story is full of so many nuances within the hebraic culture because you know, for an adult male, especially an adult male who's a landowner, the inference of the story is that he's like a lord. He's an important guy. 
They would only ever be seen walking in public. Never run. For two reasons. Firstly, because it was undignified to run. Secondly, because the robes they wore were like a dress. And trying to run in a dress, I've been told, is really hard. So I'm Scottish in my roots, so one day I will wear a kilt to church. Let's do it. Maybe for doing this talk. But, and so he'd have had to have pulled up his robes. You know what was so offensive about David dancing the way he danced? Was because his undergarments were revealed. He brought shame upon himself through his presentation. This father has a son who deserves death, who has shamed him in every way possible who he is searching for on the horizon, who he recognises as the son whom he loves, is so desperate to get to him that he races faster than his legs can carry him, shames himself, shames his household in order to cover up the shame of that child. Isn't that extraordinary? Isn't that amazing? And this is the thing that is crazy with this story, is that is the response to you and to me every single time we turn back and face him from when we've done anything wrong. As soon as we turn and face, there's not a journey back. There's a lie in the kingdom of God that says that you have to go on a journey to get right with God. You just have to turn and face him. You have to go and face him, look in his eyes and say, God, I'm here. And because it says in Psalm 23, that goodness and mercy will be chasing you all the days of your life. It says goodness and mercy will hunt you down. It's really easy to get caught when you stop running. And so we've got this father who's legging it, absolutely legging it to the son. And all the servants are like, what? What? what's going on? So they all go too. I love it. And they get to the point of the road, the point of meeting. Does the father slow down, gather himself together, brush himself off, get ready, and then, how do you do, son? Shake his hand. No. It says, he ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. Some translations say that he kissed him all over. Let's go back to what that son looked like. But also, let's just think about this for a second. There's, a, there's an element of physics going on right here. With Newton's third law, every reaction has an equal and opposite reaction. The son who's walking like this and the father who's legging it like this, there's a point of impact that happens. He fell upon his neck and kissed him all over. It's hard to kiss someone all over when they're standing up, but tell you what, when you're lying on top of them, have you ever wondered why people go down in the power of the Spirit? I can tell you that. It's because the father of all fathers just legged it down the road, landed upon their neck, and is kissing them all over. Because you can't stand. You can't stay upright when he turns up with his love because he's going to come and just destroy it. I actually did it once. We had a guy, Aaron. I don't know how many of you remember Aaron Rebello. Um, he, we were at a conference. I was teaching this, and, and I literally ran across the stage and jumped on him. However... The revelation of what was going on hit Aaron like a ton of bricks and he went down under the power of the spirit after I'd already committed to the jump. <laughs> and so the point of impact was in fact when Aaron was already flat out on the floor and I just landed upon him. I just copied what my father did. God wants to do that to us. He wants to land upon, he wants to make a completely ridiculous display of his love for you. He wants to just outdo anything that could be seen and done. And so he kisses him all over. Remember that this kid is dirty. He's stinking. He's 
broken down, he's in rags, and there's nothing that the father won't kiss. There's nothing the father won't touch. There's not a single disease, choice, thing you've done that the father won't come with his kisses for. He will kiss the leprosy, both metaphorically and physically, in your life. I've never, ever seen such an extraordinary miracle as being in a hut in Kenya with a man who hadn't seen another person for a month because of his leprosy that he had because of HIV AIDS. And John Arnott stood there, took his hand and kissed it. And the man just started to get covered with heat in his body and the healing started to come. It was amazing. The fearlessness of a man who understood what the father was doing in that moment brought the father's reality in that man who was alone in that moment. When we get to give away what we've received, this is where it gets crazy and really exciting. We get to start being him to others, but first start with us. It said the father said, so the son seemingly doesn't realize how amazing this situation is because it's like they get up off the pile on the floor and the son starts to go, he does his rehearsed prayer, right? He does his moment. And have you been like that when you've been like, the ministry moment is happening, the father has come and met you, you're like, you know, in your room, weeping on the grace and the love of God that's coming over you. And yet we still have that kind of moment of, okay, I should probably say something. I'm so sorry. Would you make me a slave in your household? And it's like he's forgotten. It's like, why would the father run like that to you if he wasn't going to just love you as his son? And, and the problem we have is that we often just dictate our, our area and our atmosphere based on our perceptions. We perceive that we're not worthy. We perceive that we're this, that and the other. You know, the biggest enemy you have in your life is your agreement with the enemy himself through the power of your tongue. Jesus said this, and the ultimate expression of a son was Jesus. And he said this, I only speak what I hear the Father speaking. And we hear so many times in the Bible where Jesus says statements like, I am the Son of God. I am this. He's speaking truth that he's hearing from heaven. How often do you speak lies that you hear from the devil? I'm not good enough. I can't do that. I'm alone. Nobody likes me. We, we have this ability that we need to stop where we allow the power of the tongue to become a choice where we're constantly just saying to the enemy, I'm agreeing with you. I'm going to be in your household. I'm going to be with the father of lies. And the enemy starts saying things like, you're a fraud, you're not people." You know, this morning on the drive in, I literally had this intersecting thought come into my head being like oh you're not good enough to preach today oh, you've been too busy this morning you haven't spent enough time with God and and you know like I could have been like yeah you know what yeah yeah you're right yeah, I haven't spent enough time with God oh, yeah, I, you know what I'm going to go and I'm gonna, you know I'm not going to do the setup today I'm not going to do all the other things I'm not going to do any of that I'm going to I'm going to sit myself I'm going to be motivated into the pure atmosphere of God with a motive that's completely crap. And I'm going to bring the complete stench of that lie into my atmosphere of him. Don't bring your lies that you're believing into your atmosphere of him. It says in the Bible, resist the devil and he will flee from you. My response wasn't to go, okay, Father, I'm going to come and have time with you because I'm feeling condemned right now. No, because that's, he doesn't want in his house, he doesn't want dirty shoes. He wants you to take your shoes off at the door and leave the evidence of your journey behind with it. Because he wants to sit you down and love you. He doesn't need to overcome something you've chosen that's wrong. He's already overcome it. He wants to just look you in the face and say, I love you. 
I'm so proud of you. I adore you. You are the head and not the tail. You are an overcomer. You are perfect in who I've made you to be. I have called you for such time as this. I have made your ways right before you. I have set the path of your life ahead of you. And know what? I'm going to do it with you. Come on. He doesn't, he's not interested in the lies you believe. He's only interested in you listening to the truth that he speaks. And when you start to partner your tongue with that, you start to notice something happens in your life. When you hear a lie from the enemy, do you go, okay, yes, sir. Or do you go, uh, no, excuse me, that's not who my father says I am. That's not who he makes me to be. That's not who he has defined my life to look like. That is not my portion. That is not my inheritance. So get away from me. I'm only listening to him. And I'm owning the speak of him. And so the father responds. And he does this. He says, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Because the evidence of his sin was upon him. And so the robe hides it. He doesn't send him for a shower. He doesn't send him for a bath. He doesn't make him get changed. He just covers his shame. There's a time and a place for inner healing. Don't get me wrong. But I'll tell you what, the first response is he covers your shame. Because in the atmosphere of your shame being covered, then he can bring healing all day long. He's not short on his ability to heal you, but he's not also short on his ability to cover you as well. And it's the best robe. It's not just a robe, it's the best robe. He's not afraid of your dirt and your muck getting on his best stuff. As Jesus said, the clean makes it unclean clean. Not the other way around. And he says, put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. The ring says he's got authority. He's been restored. He can make decisions. He can say, this is on behalf of my father in all things. When he turns up, it's like the father's turned up. You've had a ring put on your finger. When you turn up, the father's turned up. Yeah, come on, give that a hallelujah. That's worth something. Sandals on his feet because his feet were tired. And God's kind. We have a father who's kind. He's really kind. He'll put sandals on your feet. And in fact, the sandals here are like the Gucci sandals of the day. They weren't the really practical, like Roman soldier sandals. They were like the supple, leather, beautiful, perfect sandals. And it says, bring the fatted calf here. Check this out. Okay. He doesn't say, go and find the biggest calf. He says, find the calf that I've been preparing for this moment. Bring the fattened calf. Not any calf, the one I've prepared for this moment. And not get it ready at home behind closed doors where we can have a nice party just with our best people. Come to this place on the road. Come to the place of meeting, the place of impact, the place of mess. The unplanned, disorganized, messy meeting of restoration. Let's have a party here. Because also, remember in Psalm 23, it says, he prepares a feast table for you in the presence of your enemies. What were those townsfolk about to do to the sun? They're about to stone him to death. He's surrounded by people ready to go. They're ready to stone him to death. They are literally in that moment his enemies. And the father says, let's have a party right here. In this messy, inconvenient place. Let's have a party to just compound everything they could think of love and say, no, this is what love looks like. You don't need to expect in your life to just have everything blue skies and wonderful rainbows and butterflies. But when the God of all compassion and comfort turns up, the situations look like your enemies being shown a display of his splendor. 
And tell you what, it's a feast table. It's not a one-on-one dinner. What does that mean? There's more seats available around the table than just for you and him. What would it be like if the, people who, the very people who want to stone you to death actually sat at the feast table with you? Because in the abundance of his love, there's always enough to give away. Don't always expect to be removed. Expect to change things. Expect to redeem things. Expect to do things with him that change the world around you. And this is awesome. It says, let us eat and be merry for this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And let me tell you something. That son at that moment was trying to define himself as a slave. He was trying to define himself as much below what he was. But the father never stops calling him a son. He, despite behavior, choice, despite action, still says, this is my son. My son. He doesn't have a right to define himself in this moment. He doesn't get to say whether or not he's my child or not. He is my son and I choose him. And in fact, he was dead and is now alive. As far as the father was concerned, the moment of behavior was a blip. It was just he was in death. He was under the veil of death and darkness. But now he is alive again. He is restored and I see him. One of my favorite movies, Blood Diamond. And it's set around the Sierra Leone um, civil war that was like from 1991 to 2002. There's the amazing story of this guy, Solomon Vandy. And it's almost like a sub-story in the story journey of it. But there's this moment. Solomon Vandy is hunting for his son. His son was taken, abducted from his village and made to be a child soldier. Has been indoctrinated, has been um, given drugs, has been turned into basically a completely just robotic killing machine. And there's this moment of reuniting that happens where Solomon finds his son and his son pulls a gun and points it in his face. The son just sees a threat. The father sees a boy. And there's this bit where Solomon Vandy looks at his son and says, you are my son and I am your father and you're going to come home and live with me. And it's such a prophetic statement over this whole thing today of, You have a father who will chase you down. He will hunt you down. He will pursue you no matter what happens, no matter what happens in this world, no matter how many influences trying to change you, define you, shift you. And we live in a society, guys, where that's happening all over the place. Independent thinking based on an an inferior authority that says you can make a choice for yourself about who you are. It's just nonsense. It's not from his heart. And he will find you and he'll say... I'm not seeing a boy who is indoctrinated on drugs and robotically killing people. I'm not seeing every life you killed, every child you snuffed out, everything you did. I'm not even seeing the gun in your hand. I'm seeing a little boy who needs his daddy's love right now. And I'm here and I'm telling you, you're my son and I am your father. And nothing you can do will change that because you're coming home with me, son. It's a really good book that Alistair wrote called The Road to the Father's House. You should read it because it's way more into this stuff than this. He's not afraid of where you've been. You know, the only thing that he'd possibly be afraid of in this whole story is that you would not come back to him. And so he's going to run and run and run to you. The Father reminds us of who we are, not what we've done or who we've become. His reference and knowledge of us is based entirely on who he knows us to be, 
not who we think we are. There's an awesome song by Charity Gale where the bridge, it's just epic. It's one of those ones you put in the car and you can't help but shout along with it. And it says, I know who I am because the I am tells me who I am. I know who I am because the I am tells me who I am. Do you listen to the I am? Do you let him tell you who you are? Or do you tell him who you are? We need to change our whole attitude to repentance. We need to change our whole attitude to approaching him. Because he doesn't need to know what we've done wrong on one level. He just needs to see that our heart is to say, Father, I want to be like you. I want to be who you say I'm going to be. Would you help me become more who you say I am? Don't tell him what you've done to not be like him. Just desire to be more like him. Desire to walk in his word and his truth in all things. Just before we minister, we live in a culture of orphanness and independence. There is, in so many areas, just an attack on identity in this world. And I even the other day saw, I was watching a parenting video and they were railing on this idea of saying to your firstborn child, be a, be a good big sister or big brother to your younger child. Do, look after them, that's what you have to do. And, and they're railing on it being like, that's such an unfair pressure on an older sibling. Such an unfair walk to go on with an older sibling. Why should they have to do anything for their younger sibling? And something in my heart, I was listening to it thinking, yeah, that sounds kind of right. But and I, I've got a younger brother. I made mistakes on the journey. I feel responsible in some ways for some of those mistakes. And I was like, yeah, that's good. Yeah, yeah. How dare we? How dare we tell children how to behave towards their siblings? They should be independent. They should be completely free to be their own person. And I caught something in the spirit. That verse we started with, where it says, you cannot give what you haven't first received. But then when you receive it, you get to release fathering to the world. There is a joy that should be celebrated in being someone who influences somebody else's life. There is a birthright and identity of a flow of the spirit where you get to in any way, whether it's meeting with a friend or when like a younger sibling, whatever. There is a family model and a mandate that when you are walking ahead of somebody, you get to impart it to them. You get to show them how to be. And not only that, it's a joy, but also it's a flow. It's never in lack. I fully expect Isla to be the most amazing big sister to Caleb, to protect him, to support him, to help him grow. Not because of his lack, but because when she does that, she's doing it from a place of knowing that she's protected, she's covered, she's able to grow. If you understand that you're protected and loved and able to grow and on a journey, then it doesn't matter who you're up ahead of and who you're against because you know you've got it anyway. You're never in lack. We said it in the offering declaration, and we're not just talking about finances. You are never in lack. Your father's love is enough for you. It is your joy to replicate the father. Why don't you stand if you can? That was a really good sound. There's so many different levels of what 
I feel like the personal journey of this morning is and the outworking of this. And so I want everybody to have an opportunity to get get with the Father. You may you may be feeling, you know, I just feel like I've been on this journey all wrong. I've been trying to work my way into my father's house. I've been feeling guilty. I've been feeling broken. I've done all these things in my life. How can I possibly be worthy of his love? And if that's you, then honestly, I just want to say to you right now, stop it. That's maybe a little bit blunt. But you can't do anything to earn his love because you already earned it by existing. And so if you don't feel worthy of his love, if you feel like there's too many things to push through this morning, then I'm just going to invite you. We've got a really beautifully big space here this morning, which is in itself a miracle because we, in theory, made less space and there's more space, which is great. But if that's you, I want you to just come, do business with the Father up at the front. Just come, fill this space. If you're feeling, you know what, I don't feel worthy, then come and see what happens when you step forward and see what his response is. And so that could be kneeling, that could be standing, but just come, come, be bold. This is about you and him in that in this moment. He doesn't care about anything right now other than you and him. For some of you, you just feel really impassioned right now. You're like, yeah, come on. This is brilliant. I have a father who loves me and I know I'm loved. I know I'm covered. I know I'm in that place. I want to just go and do and release fathering to the world around me. Well then, you guys have just been released as the ministry team this morning. And I want you to behave yourselves on some level because, you know, it's not a free reign to just go and be crazy. But I want you to just go and release love. That doesn't mean you're going to be strange and stand and be like, I love you, my daughter. It's not anything weird like that. But just literally an embrace. No words needed, an embrace. And so if you didn't feel able to come forward, but you feel like, you know what, I need I need to feel the embrace of God today, then either come and stand in this place at the front or just put your hand in the air. But if you need to feel an embrace of the Father today coming to you saying, I've got you, my child. It's going to be okay. It doesn't matter where you've been and what you've done, but I love you so much. Then just come. Like, put your hand in the air or come and stand here. But if you're somebody who's feeling, you know what? Yeah. I'm, I've, yeah, I'm ready. I'm ready to release this. Father, I thank you and I'm ready to release your love to others. Then I want you to come and we'll do female to female, male to male. But if that's you, I want you to just come and there's, there's four guys at the front here, but come and embrace somebody. Even embrace somebody near you. And if you don't feel like you fit in either of those brackets, then that's okay. Because we're all on a journey. And I'm here today to tell you that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. That you are in the image of your father. That you are the apple of his eye. That when he, not that he wakes up in the morning, but when he wakes up in the morning, you would be his first thought. You are the joy of his morning. You are the purpose and the reason. Jesus died on the cross for you as a joy of the Father so that you could be restored to him. I'm just going to release a blessing. But as a father, I just speak identity 
over each of your hearts today. I speak acceptance over each of your hearts today. You are loved. You are chosen. When Even before you were born, you were God's good thought. And he so wanted to see you walk in this earth that he made a choice to bring you into this world. There's not a moment you've faced in hardship that he hasn't felt with you. He hasn't hurt with you. He hasn't been with you. But that he wants you to live in joy with him. And in the name of Jesus, I just ask right now, Father, would you kill the fattened calf for each and every person in this room and online today? Would you release an atmosphere of merriment and joy? Would you release a celebration because your children are not dead, but they are alive and found in you? And in the name of Jesus, we release an impartation to understand and see that you are within a fortress of his love and you have a father who is moved to passion for you, that it is not a mountain too high, a valley too low, a ocean too wide, that he would not pursue you with his love. And Father, I ask you to open our eyes to see the moments of love that you are releasing today. Would you let us not miss a moment, but also, Father, we just cancel every lie of the enemy right now in Jesus' mighty name. Every single time we have heard that little voice lying to us and we've gone, yes, sir, I believe you. We cancel it right now in Jesus' name. And I command a complete cleansing of our ears and our hearts and our minds that we would not hear his voice and accept it, but we'd reject it, that we would resist him and he would flee. And that in the name of Jesus, that we would stand and hear in the same clarity your voice, Father. I feel like there's some of you in the room where you feel like it's really easy to hear the devil's voice and hard to hear the father's voice. That is a lie from the enemy. The father is closer, louder, and more intimately aware of you in every single way. And his voice is there for you today. And so, Father, I ask you would just tweak our ability to hear you today. Would you move us from the voice of one to the voice of another? But would you help us recognize that when you speak, mountains shake and oceans are rippled and wave and tornado and everything because your voice is the voice that breathes out stars your voice is the voice that spoke us into being your voice was the voice of glory that when it said Kathleen you're coming into this world it meant every fibre of Kathleen's body was covered in the same glory as him himself and that's for each and every one of us you are full of glory you are covered in glory it's time for us to go and release that glory to another. And so, in Jesus' name, I commission you today to as you freely receive, freely give. As you receive comfort and compassion from the Father of all comfort and all compassion, that you would give it away to others, not in detriment or lack to yourself, but understanding the flow that you live in is greater than the one who is in front of you and that their needs can be wholly met through the flow that you release to them in Jesus name and so go change the world be free know his voice understand that you are his child in whom he is well pleased in Jesus name amen amen well guys the closing bit for this is simply don't leave without a hug (laughs) 